Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This is Eugene Hernandez, and it's day two of the New York Film Festival. We're doing this Film at Lincoln Center podcast daily. And um, thrilled to be sitting here uh, for this conversation with Steve Zychik from the Washington Post. Welcome, Steve. Good to be here. Thanks, Eugene. Um, we thought it'd be fun to start day two by talking about day one. Um, so we're going to devote uh, this edition of the podcast to Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, which is the opening night film um, of this year's festival. And you've seen the film. Uh, we were able to experience the press conference, which we'll, we'll hear that audio in its entirety in a moment. But I thought it might be interesting to talk a little bit about the movie that we've seen and a little bit of some of the topics that came up during the press conference, which we'll get to in a second. But um, Steve, you're no stranger to the New York Film Festival. Um, tell me about your relationship to this festival and, and sort of uh, when you started coming here. Well, I grew up in New York, and so uh, I've been coming here for many years, uh, well over a quarter century, came here in high school and 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 um, college and grad school. Um, I've been covering the New York Film Festival now for about 15 years, which is about the amount of time I've been covering the entertainment industry and uh, really seen it sort of emerge. Uh, obviously, it's always been a great uh, Sinast festival, but in the last decade, uh, give or take, it's really emerged as a powerhouse in terms of the industry and award season, which I know is not always the explicit goal of, of the festival or even the implicit one, but it's been very interesting just as a journalist covering mm. uh, various festivals. I usually come here directly from Toronto, um, cover Cannes, Sundance, and some of the other festivals uh, to really see how much New York has been able to really, and I'm not just saying this because I'm sitting here with you, though, um, uh, I really do feel this, um, that it's managed to preserve something that I think is increasingly rare in this environment, which is, uh, you know, a, a total and uh, unequivocal commitment to um, the art of film and auteur-driven filmmaking, while at the same time uh, being what I think what 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 the Irishman is, which is an, an incredible launch pad mm -hmm. uh, for a, a, a movie that's going to be very important uh, in the conversation uh, for the coming months. We've been really lucky to have, um, you know, to have this film as a world premiere. Our festival director Kent Jones has a long relationship, a very close relationship with Marty Scorsese, and and Martin Scorsese has a very long, close relationship with this organization. So it really, it really felt like um, just um, such a such a perfect uh, kind of confluence of events that 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 you know we were able to have this film as the opening night movie. Let's talk a little bit about the movie. Um, you know. Um, uh, we've both seen it, and I, I would love to. I, I referenced it a little bit on day one of the podcast, but but I think um, as people listen to this, they will have now um, had had a chance to also share and experience this movie. But I'd love to hear your take. What really struck me about this film was how you know Scorsese has has worked in this kind of spiritual register before. Whether we're talking about uh, Age of Innocence or we're talking about uh, Silence more recently, uh, and of course he's you know worked in this key of hype mob <laughs> violence and hyper machismo, uh, but I think what really stood out to me and what will stand out hopefully to a lot of filmgoers and Scorsese fans is that he's able to combine them two in the same film and do it in a way that's really seamless. You know, the, I think maybe when you hear that it's a low-key or meditative mob movie, you think maybe there's going to be something a little bit uh, kind of ill-fitting or schizophrenic about it, and it doesn't feel that way. It all feels uh, very organic, and you're watching uh, an in incredibly brutal uh, mob hit one moment and then really trying to understand 
uh, a man who feels uh, a sense of longing and possibly regret the next uh, without any kind of uh, bumpy transition between the two. It feels like it feels like to me uh, there's a high degree of difficulty because I think I, I'm I'm responding to what you're saying about sort of weaving together these two aspects that are that are so pronounced in in Scorsese's filmography. Um, he's working on such a large palette. You know, the movie is three and a half hours long. And and being able to navigate both those two approaches that you're talking about um, in the hands of anyone but a master filmmaker uh, might not work. But I mean, I, there probably aren't a lot of filmmakers that could achieve that, that can, that can pull that off. Well, it's funny, you know, I think the one movie that, that comes to mind recently because it was um, – it's just been in the conversation is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tarantino obviously is also very interested in the That's effects of and antecedents for um, uh, kind of a certain masculine kind of violence. And uh, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think there are some moments, particularly when you're following Sharon Tate around, where he's sort of uh, – Kind of dabbling in another um, in another uh, register as far as mm. uh, you know how kind of s- a sort of a quiet inner life that maybe we don't think of as vintage Tarantino and you know with that film I think it, it took you know a whole bunch of movies uh, in his career for him to kind of reach that level of maturity. Obviously, Marty Scorsese has made a lot more films and uh, has been um, evolving really for forty years. Um, more than 40 years. But I think there is something about uh, a certain kind of filmmaker uh, reaching a certain point in his life that he's able to do this. I've heard this, I think Kent um, Jones has said that that in talking to Marty, Marty has described this as a summation, um, you know, where you think of it as a culmination. And I think it, it took Marty, obviously having a lot of life, um, clearly he could speak to this, but as a fan, it feels to me like both a lot of life experience and a lot of filmmaking experience allowed him to get to the point where he could make this movie. I'm not sure this is a movie a 30 year old could make. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it takes experience to because it's about a character who's who's lived all this life. So yeah, I, I do think it's it's both talent and 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 um, life lived. And we'll hear we'll hear in a minute um, in the press conference that we're going to play uh, on this podcast today. We'll hear we'll hear in a minute about the technical. Um, the technical hurdles, the technical challenges. Maybe we could talk about that for a minute. Um, they talk uh, in the press conference that we're about to listen to um, more than 300 scenes in the movie, um, 118 locations on 108 days. I mean, this is a this is a this is a film of a scale that, and you know, you write for the business section at the Post. This is a film of a scale that. Um, we don't see sort of um, attempted or executed in the same way. We can talk about certainly the Marvel universe, mm-hmm. but but a movie of this, uh, a drama of this um, of this kind of scale feels a little bit rare. And we could certainly talk about it again about Tarantino. I think it's a great analogy. But um, maybe put it put this in the context of sort of how it fits in the context of the the Hollywood and and the business of movies today, which seems really unique. No, I think it's a great point. And I, I think you're absolutely right. Unprecedented does not feel like too strong a word um, mm. in terms of uh, the, the the size of the production, as you said, that, you know, shooting for months at a time, the budget of the production, which obviously is well over $100 million into the $150 million range. And while certainly, you know, there's a certain kind of studio filmmaking that, that goes in that direction, it's very rare to see, uh, uh, you know, again, even though this has obviously some very commercial elements, it very much is a, a kind of uh, prestige drama 
drama. You know, the other thing too, you talk about, uh, you know, as you were describing the Marvel universe, I was thinking also of television. You know, there's mm -hmm. serialized storytelling now does seem to kind of uh, take on this epic quality, whether you're talking about, you know, 20 some odd movies in the, in, in the MCU, or you're talking about, um, you know, a Netflix or Amazon or um, Hulu series that goes on or HBO series that goes on for many uh, episodes and years. Um, Game of Thrones obviously has that epic quality. I think what's so striking about this, though, is that it's one self-contained film. This is not, this is not, you know, this is not a series. This is not a movie that then hints at another movie, which then cross-references a movie back, which again is I think Hollywood has gotten very good at kind of this sort of bloated form of storytelling, and then obviously a lot of money and 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 uh, sweat goes into that. But to have one movie that feels that big and still stands alone as a discrete entity, almost in this kind of throwback way in which when we were growing up, you know, you have that maybe that kind of scale or in earlier generations, but now that seems to have gone to TV or to these these kind of shared universe movies. I think that's really striking. I can't think of another movie right now that feels that big while, or any Hollywood creation, you know, completely that 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 feels that big and stands alone as a singular work. Yeah, I certainly don't want to don't want to overplay the point, but it, it to me I was thinking about something that Kent Jones, director of the festival has been saying um recently and that it, it's just it's it's a tough time for risky movies mm -hmm. right now and a movie like this that like like as you're saying does not come from um an IP that has like a big universe attached to it can be risky. And, you know, um, I'm not sure what it says. And, you know, years from now, we'll be able to look back on this and see if we were see, see where if we were headed in the right direction in this conversation. But I'm not sure what it says about the role of ne the Netflixes and Amazons. But the fact that uh, a, a filmmaker of this caliber and we also have uh, Noah Baumbach's film Marriage Story as our centerpiece, also from Netflix, the fact that um, these American auteurs have to look mm -hmm. to um, these disruptor companies is is worth it's worth noting it's being noted and it's something that that we're all kind of curious about yeah it's i, I think there are two ways to look at it frankly right. one right. one is to kind of say um you know it's 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 sort of a sad comment that they have to go outside the system i don't think it's any secret that this movie was uh you know kind of a potentially a paramount project and i think it just got too big for them and mm -hmm. maybe there's something a little bit unfortunate that the the traditional studio system uh can't or won't make these movies you know, and, and I think what what's what's so noticeable to me is that you know director driven products are one thing, but when you have a, a company like Netflix, as Marty was saying in the press conference, that's really willing to kind of get out of the way and not just make a a movie that's three and a half hours, which is itself an anomaly, mm -hmm. but really let the director's vision come through. I mean, mm -hmm. you watch every frame of this movie; it feels like a Marty Scorsese movie, and um, that's something that I think we, we don't really see uh, from the traditional studios. It's been a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you probably have to go back to the '70s to see that kind of creative freedom um, uh, or creative freedom on that um, order of magnitude being given to a director. And so for these disruptors to come in and, you know, I know there's a lot of debate about how the movies are being shown and, and that's a valid uh, discussion to have, but I think it's also worth pausing to say, wait a second, this is, you know, th there is a level of, of um, latitude being given an auteur that we, we really don't see very often in the traditional system. You know, I think, Steve, one other thing to make sure we hit uh, and talk about, and it's 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 so, um, you talk about this movie, whether it's this summation or this look back uh, from this master director, how amazing to see not just 
at our press conference, um, these guys up there, up there together, um, in some cases together again, Scorsese and De Niro have a long history and, and they, you know, it's been a while since they've been on the screen, uh, worked on the screen with uh, Pesci. Um, and then as you mentioned, first time with Pacino, mm-hmm. how amazing to have these guys all together. It really is remarkable. You know, it, it's funny, we, we, people like De Niro and Joe Pesci and Al Pacino have been a part of our kind of cinematic vernacular for so long, we we almost take them for granted. And, you know, we, we think about, you know, A Taxi Driver, these movies that are that go back, you know, four decades and and these iconic moments in, in, in film. And then to have them all still, I think, very much at the top of their game and very much together. Um, you know, as I was watching the film, I kept thinking, uh, maybe because we were sitting in Alice Tully Hall about you know, like what's really going to resonate or what are the clips we're going to watch years from now. Mm. And there were like at least six or seven moments between Pesci and De Niro or De Niro and Pacino where you're just like, oh my God, like take, just take this one moment. And it just, it exists sort of even outside the film. <laughs> and it kept happening. I kept seeing that like, well, that that one could be used. That, and I think that's just a testament to this incredible range of talent that that Scorsese has has assembled, and just the just the remarkable performances that they give, often playing off one another, and they're playing off of each other in different time periods. The movie the movie spans um, decades, looking um, you know back wistfully at times at um, at these characters and their lives, um, but we're 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 able to see them. Um, in these in these moments um, where in some cases they're decades younger um, it's an interesting it's an interesting bit of movie magic that that is um, kind of at the heart of what the movie is also kind of grappling with right it absolutely, and one of the challenges they faced well it absolutely is and I think it's both a technical challenge and a sort of um uh, spiritual or narrative challenge. I mean, technically, of course, they have to make it look seamless so that you're not kind of examining the faces for 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 misplaced wrinkles or 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 um, uh, you know even physical movements. Does that his face looks 35, but his body uh, appears 75? Um, so I think it's a technical challenge. But I think narratively, um, what 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 the real hurdle was here was to make it feel like you're not just kind of jumping around and 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 seeing snapshots of different moments uh, in someone's life but actually watching it as it's lived sometimes lived in flashbacks so it's not always chronological and I, that that to me was my biggest kind of um concern if if you want to call it that coming into the film is that we were going to sort of notice all those uh, kind of markings of well okay now he's young again and now I have to like imagine a different you know either I I I'm very aware that he's young I'm aware that it's an old person playing you know made to look young and I, I never felt that I, I don't know how you felt but I I felt like I was actually just watching like I, we were somehow magically transported back to De Niro being a, you know a, a child practically or a year young man fighting in World War II or you know originally in the fifties kind of coming into his own as a as a mobster you know starting out as a truck delivery driver I never it just it just felt to me like I was some I we had somehow time traveled then which I think is a is a credit both to the technology and to the performances yeah the movie um even in the first 15 20 minutes where we're seeing these characters at different times of their lives mm-hmm. as we're looking back and flashing back within flashbacks right um I don't know I, you know I I was so uh, I I felt so immediately immersed in the world yeah. of the film um and it 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 held me there for the three and a half hours. People might be, um, you know, questioning the length, but again, I think that that all these things we're talking about um, are, are woven together in a way that that it plays out as this really, uh, for me, a really engaging um, 
story. We're in the hands of a master storyteller. And so when you're hearing uh, or watching a great story, you kind of just lose track of everything and you're just you just kind of forget um, the the magic or the artifice of the process. Absolutely, and, and and I think that that is a testament to the filmmaking that it's really not self conscious. You're not there. There's there's not a lot in the film that's kind of calling attention to itself about these again either the technology or the other jumps in time. And I think that that helps kind of ease you in and, and maybe carries you through what what is a very long experience. You know, it's funny you mentioned the flashbacks, <laughs> Eugene. I I think when they go to the uh, I, I was counting. Tell me if I counted correctly. The Italian flashback when he's he's in Italy in the war, I think it was maybe, and this may be a first in cinema history, it was a flashback within a flashback within a flashback within a flashback. There were four, because you have an old man telling the story, but a younger man telling, I think you go back four, you're, you're, you're four deep. I, I, I may be miscounting, but I don't right. <laughs> some, some small little, some, some, some Guinness record right in there. Well, it's in this context that we open and opened the 57th New York Film Festival. Uh, the press conference we're about to listen to is a conversation moderated by Kent Jones, director of the festival, with um, two of the film's producers, Emma Tillinger-Koskoff and Jane Rosenthal, with uh, actors Joe Pesci, Al Pacino, and Robert De Niro talking with Marty Scorsese. Um, Steve Zajcik, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. And we'll go now to that press conference. I'm going to start the ball rolling with some questions about how this film came to be, how it got made, and then after we open it up to the audience, I want to just remind everyone to confine their questions to this film and this film alone. Thank you in advance. Um, not that I probably didn't even need to make that call, but I did, so it's over. Um, I, I want to start off with a standard, you know, ordinary kind of question, how this project got started, what's the origin of it, and maybe Emma and Jane can start with that? Uh, we, uh, in 2007, we were trying to make another movie together called The Winter of Frankie Machine. We got on a call with um, Brad Gray, uh, who's uh, who was a head of Paramount Pictures, to talk about it. And um, Bob brought up that there was this other book that he had read that maybe we could combine together, or maybe not. And the book is called I Hear You Paint Houses. And we decided we should do that on a call. And it's what every producer wants to hear. You're on a call that's going to, they're about to greenlight a movie. And Brad says, Oh, so you mean to tell me that this movie I was going to greenlight is now a development deal? And you heard all of us go, <clears throat> And um, then, yep, that, that's what happened. And um, brought Zalian on and. The journey began. Yeah, yeah. And then Emma, at what point did you? You were on that call. Come into the picture. Oh, I was on. I was on the, the call. I, I was. I was there. <laughs> yeah. I was right. There. She was on the call. Yeah. Yeah. I really kicked into gear when we start shooting. Mm -hmm. When we start prepping. Yep. And this was, an, a very involved. It was a long shoot, huh? I believe it was what 106 days. Is 108. That? What? 108. Okay, so you make me a liar for two days. Yeah. <laughs> you make me a liar for two days. That's an old joke. Smith and Dale. Uh, but um, it, there really is a longer history here because 
Bob and I wanted to work together uh, since we did Casino, which was 1995. Mm -hmm. So, and we would check each other what we were doing, what projects we're doing together, and things like that. And we never quite connected. Um, we tried to make out make something with this Frankie machine, but um, once I think Eric, Eric Roth gave you the book. Yeah, we would. We were talking about it, Eric and I, and we kept we talked about about two years before you and I talked about it, and it had come out two years earlier. And Eric said, "This book you should read." And I just said, "Now I should read it for research for Frankie Machine." Right. Yeah. And then I read it, and then I said, "Marty, you gotta look at this." And when when uh, you know Bob presented the the, the book to me, and um, it, I could see that it was very strongly attached to the character, and. Um, we didn't have to say much. We didn't have to say much. And I, uh, after the phone call with, uh, with Brad, um, I got Steve Zalian to come on and write, write the script. That was about 10 years ago, I think now. Wow. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, about 10 years ago. And we talked, of course, about Al and Joe being in it. Yeah. And you had always, you and Al had always tried to find a way to uh, work together, right, Marty? Well, over the years, yes. I, I met him first in 1970 when he was directing Rats, okay. the play, right? Israel, yeah. Israel Horowitz, yeah. Francis Coppola introduced us. Mm -hmm. And over the years, it just went differently. Where his project's mine, you, you know. Uh, we tried to get together on a, a film on Modigliani. That didn't come to fruition. Um, and I remember our meeting about this in Beverly Hills, this project about six years ago, whatever, maybe more. More. Yeah, more than that, because you looked at it in the room and you said, is this going to happen? <laughs> well, because, we, you know. That's the going word. That's it, the going word. Yeah, is this going to happen, you know, before we get any older? So it's that kind of thing. So anyway, we said, yes, it will, but things got in the way. And in the way, I don't mean necessarily negatively. There were other issues that came up and other obligations. Mm -hmm. And then the uh, technical aspects. Yeah, Al, can you talk about playing a, a, a larger-than-life, really known figure like Jimmy Hoffa? Um, it's, it's an interesting challenge. Oh, yeah, it was because, uh, but, but today's uh, world, you have a lot of access to those kind of characters because there's yeah. a lot of people who know them, knew them, and also there's books about them, but mainly there's, there's footage of them. There's a lot of... Uh, yeah, we we recorded a lot in our life, you know. So, you you have access to that. A couple of characters. But when I when I played Serpico, the the thought of him on any kind of video somewhere was not Sounds even a, not, not, it was not even a thought. But I had him. Yeah. You know, he was there. So, that's always a, an advantage. But with with Jimmy, there was so much about him, and I grew up in a time when he was quite prominent, you know, so. Joe, can you talk about coming aboard on this project, and this is the first movie that you've made in, in quite a while, um, since uh, I think Bob's film, The Good Shepherd, no? Is that true? Is it? I don't think you heard. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. J Jane is, Jane is uh, translating. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry I, I, I'm going to. Understand. No, sorry about that. Yeah. Say it again. I know, I have to enunciate clearly. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk about coming aboard on this project after it's been a while since you've appeared in a film, and I think that the last one was Bob's film, The Good Shepherd. Yeah. 
No. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I just... Yeah. No, but was it... <laughs> did you have any pressure? Did, but did you have any pressure? No, I didn't have any pressure. <laughs> That's good. You weren't pressured to do this? Huh? You weren't pressured to do this? Oh, to do this? Yeah, yeah. You didn't say that. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you talk about directing. Huh? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I just do whatever he tells me to when I'm... <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> but what was it fit to get back into the groove that you, to, to, um, at, at a different moment? Because the last time the three of you guys had worked together was on Casino. Casino. Yeah, yes, yes, 20 yes. years ago. Um, and was, yeah. Are you better in math? Uh, Are you better in math than me? It's more than two. Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. yeah. No, so, Bob, what you, what you, could you want to talk about the what's it like to get together to work together again after all these years kind of thing? Yeah. <laughs> it was... Uh, <laughs> Marty and I had a couple of times we, we didn't, for one reason I couldn't, and this, and, and, and so it, it, those uh, opportunities passed, but um, we always did, and... and, and um, then this and it was Joe. Uh, Joe and I would talk about the the movie too, and I would talk to Marty. I talked to Joe, and Joe, uh, you know, we, we went through a long process uh, talking about it. And um, as far as all that goes, um, but I'm just happy we all got finally to do it uh, because it did take a, a long time, and and um, it, it the way that we we. Um, with Marty able to do it the way he would would want to do it, and um, we were lucky to have the, uh, the 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 people to put up the money. And, yes, and, that was and the key. Back at, uh, that was the key because we it. couldn't get the backing. Yeah, there was no way for years, and uh, uh, we just couldn't get the backing. Uh, and ultimately, it was Ted Sarandos. Yeah, they they called up and said. And that's, but that's a point, too, that we had decided that we, Pablo Hellman and ILM had come up with a solution for the de-aging process that wouldn't interfere with um, Bob and Joe and Al, uh, you know, talking to each other with uh, helmets on or, or tennis yeah. balls on their faces. Seriously, I said, they're not going to do it. Um, and so uh, they made tests. We made tests a few years ago. and uh, But, you know, it's, it's, an, it's a... Uh, costly experiment and uh but ted um, and everyone at netflix said uh, they'll go with it and they went they actually backed the film and financed it and are you know um were creatively um attuned to us uh, there was no interference of any kind um uh, just like, you know, some notes and things from time to time, but like we address them or not. That's so, but the point is that um, it was necessarily a uh, uh, an interesting, I guess, hybrid in a way, because we how you balance between um, what a, a film is mm -hmm. and what is viewed at home or in a theater and in a theater, or not in a theater at all, uh, only at festivals, all of this is now, we're in an extraordinary time of change, you know? But when it comes down to it, ultimately, 
I felt and Bob felt, we felt the picture had to be made for our, well, except for ourselves, really. I mean, that way, we had to, we had to check in and with each other. And here's the thing, too. It isn't like, oh, you know, oh, there they are doing their thing. No, you know, people, when you, <laughs> as you get older, people um, grow differently at times. And you grow separate away from each other. Uh, this uh, was not the case. And we kept coming back, coming back. And we still have a, um, uh, a kind of a tele telepathic way of working together, uh, particularly with certain characters. And that goes for Joe, too. And it's my first time working with Al, finally. <laughs> so it was a real. I, it, yeah, and I can't, you can't, people want to talk about, oh, we're so great on the set and everything. No, we were doing our work. Yeah, we were just doing work, and, and uh, we enjoyed doing the work. That was the thing. We enjoyed it. <clears throat> it was 108 days, though, and a lot of that. How many locations? Yeah, I was going to ask how many locations. 117. 309 scenes and 117. 309 scenes and 117 locations. In and around. Which meant moving yeah. a lot. Sometimes, now, sometimes two to two or three moves a day. Yeah. Two to three moves a day. And on a, a, I must say, a bigger film, you know, you have lots of trucks. And uh, in a case like this with the ILM uh, uh, technique, we had at least how many cameras? We carried nine cameras. Carried nine cameras all the time which is added crew, and when we shot with the technique, we had a camera that the, uh, Rodrigo called a, a three-eyed monster, um, and he was concerned about it getting into these tight corners and everything. I said, don't worry about it, Let's, let, we'll find a way. And often I would do two cameras, so it was six lenses, six lenses with, uh, with the actors in those scenes. So what, I, what I'm getting at is that there were more trucks, there were more uh, more, uh, what I mean by a truck is like tons of equipment. And so um, it was slower in moving, but not in a negative way. Definitely not. You know? It really didn't, the, the, the technology didn't, didn't slow us down. The technology did not slow us no. down. No, it didn't. The technology didn't. And some of the film is shot on. <laughs> what? There's certain. There's certain. Uh, there's some were worked on on 35 in the film. Correct. It's yeah. about 70 per yeah. 70 30. 70 30. Yeah. I mean, as opposed to the last picture we made, which was the opposite, wasn't it? In terms of film, 35 millimeter in, yes. in Taiwan. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that 35 millimeter in Taiwan. <laughs> yeah. um, Jane, you were going to say something before. I, I was going to say that the weight um, between the time we did the test and we're actually shooting it was actually positive for the picture because the technology kept evolving and kept changing and kept making things simpler and marty or bob i don't know if you want to talk about the day that we screened that test because we had done the a scene with um good and then put them both up side by side the test and the actual footage what do you thought what of I that said. What? No. Oh, you're not in Goodfellas. Sorry, Goodfellas. What are we talking about? Irishman. But no, but it was a, no. All these years. No, no. no. What was I thinking? <laughs> Sorry, man. I. Well, the best but, is you used to have. You had also Jimmy Hoffa's voice in your ear, right? You yes. had Jimmy Hoffa's voice in your ear. Yeah. And you were listening to that a lot. I don't know where he was going, on the set. Yeah. 
walking around. People thought I was listening to music. I thought, yeah, for some, what's he doing? Why tell them what I'm listening to? Ah, exactly. <laughs> but you got it down. Yeah, I, I, you know, yeah, you, you, have to, you have to pick a thing once in a while because you know, in this day and age, too, we have to make our schedules uh, sort of connect. And um, they already were, the train had left the oh, station. Yeah, that's right. They were they were filming and doing it when I entered, you know, the, the moving the moving train syndrome. So I hopped on, but I was hopping on with people I really know and I care about, and it, and they care for me. And it was just it was good to do that because I don't know that I could have done it without uh, these people because it, it it they made it they made it comfortable. Yeah. Because when you 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 enter a film that is in motion and everybody is you know particularly going through their thing and understand it, and you you could feel like an outsider, but I didn't I didn't at all. And uh, but it is today's uh, gamut today is that you don't rehearse, but it's all right with you know, with, with these guys. You can say anything to them and they'll respond. <laughs> so yeah. it's. it's <laughs> Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, you just say, you know, I want to just throw some things around, and you know, they say, Yeah, go ahead, and fine. I mean, but you did read the script, though. <laughs> no, but what, what I mean is, I've been waiting to this day to yeah, tell yeah. you. Okay, no, wait, maybe he didn't. I don't like Do reading film scripts. I, agree. I just don't go. I agree with you because whenever we get together to rehearse, we just start talking, and that was the end of it. Yeah, that really was, and on yeah, set too. I know. And Joe too. He said, "No, I want to read it. I don't read it." I said, "You're going to have to do something with it. You got to know what it is." I forgot how to read. It's that simple. <laughs> forgot. But interestingly enough, it's all there. The as written. no, I read the script. All no, right. no, all as right, written, please. as written. <laughs> Doesn't matter because. Obviously, the levels you hit, the lines, the way the, the words are very specific, align, uh, key lines like it is what it is, that sort of thing yeah. is very specific. Um, Joe saying, you know, you're late. certain certain people, yeah. you're late is right. Uh, certain late. people, certain people think you, you have a, a lack of appreciation. Uh, I mean, a line like that, he, he, it's there. It's in the script, yeah. you know. But it's it's the interpretation. It's not even interpretation. It's how they live it. They live it. You know, they, they're really those people on that film on that set, or that location, wherever the hell we were. But Bob, you were going to talk about the... Um, the Goodfellas test. The Goodfellas test. Jane wanted you to say something well, about oh, that. Oh, that's right. That's what I saw. Yes. Uh, somebody said to me about the, um, the age thing, and then they showed me this, uh, this thing of, of Bob doing Goodfellas, and I thought, why is he doing this again? <laughs> and I'm watching it, and I thought, what happened? It's it's because I didn't know. And then later, after it was over, I said, wait a minute. Isn't he old or something? But I didn't see that in the thing. How did he do that? You know, he's such a great actor. I thought, wow, but now, wow. He's Meryl Streep, you know. <laughs> it was really, a, it was really an eye opener. When he did that, I thought, wow. Because you didn't see it in any way. And Joe, too. I, I had been in uh, around Lucas's farm up there, you know, looking at some of the stuff just to look. And, and, they sh and Pablo showed me the um, uh, Joe getting out of a car. And I thought, not only looks great, <laughs> why does he look so good? The, I don't know why I can't get it through my head. <laughs> <laughs> you should know. Well, now you know. 
Now I know. I always tell, I always, I always tell the story of the first day of shooting with you, getting out of the chair. Me? Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what is that? <laughs> well, I know I, that story. Oh, yeah, well, you were there. Uh, oh. yeah. Right, yeah. You and me, and it was like you were complaining about those Kennedys. We're going to war with these people. Remember on the TV? Yeah. And uh, you got your family there, and uh, um, uh, uh, your wife is saying, uh, oh, please, language. You go, oh, language. Come on, we're going to war with these people. And he gets up, and he goes, that son of a bitch, what he put me through already. And you got up out of the chair. And I told the story. I said, it was the first day of shooting with you. It was the first time I ever worked with you, too. Yeah. And I said, that's great. It was really good what he did. And then I said, okay, let's do one more take. And she said, I'll do something. I said, good, good. And he gets up out of the chair and he yells at the TV and leaves again. And um, at which point I said, good, we'll maybe do one more. And I think we can move on because we had two cameras going. And this is with the three lenses on each camera. And it was Rodrigo Prieto and uh, 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 Pablo. And uh, I think, was it Gary? Yes. Gary. Gary, Gary what's his name? Takon. Yeah, Gary Takon, who's... Also, see, they were not just, uh, this doesn't, how should I put it? It isn't just about lenses and computer imagery. It's about posture, it's about movement, it's about uh, the clarity of the eyes, everything. So there were people on each element dealing with, uh, with the actors on this. Um, <clears throat> and, I, and Gary came over and they said, uh, they said, uh, I have to tell you something. I said, what? He's supposed to be 49. I said, well, you tell him. <laughs> and they said, no, you got to tell him because he's going to put me 49. Okay, so I walk over and say, oh, everything's fine. The only thing is when you get out of, out of the chair, you're supposed to be 49. <laughs> and you started to go, oh, God, oh, okay. So you do a next take. I said, what'd you think? And he said, 62. I said, no, we got to get down to 49. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you aware you're sculpting. I mean, yeah. you're sculpting this whole thing with that. It's like living models in a way. Yeah. Plus the truth of how they're interpreting. It's extraordinary experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, young again. Yeah. <laughs> but Bob, you, you, uh, she wanted you to say something about the the test. Well, what do you want me to you say? You prompted again. <laughs> well, when you looked at the test side by side, the we were in Marty's screening room. Do you remember what, uh, what you thought? No, what did I say? <laughs> I remember. Uh, how, uh, that you could, you know, you can work another 30, 40 oh, years. Oh, I was I mean, yeah, joking. How, uh, so, yeah, I extend my career another 30 yes, exactly. years. Yeah. 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 Gary will help you stand up, yeah, and we go. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. We'll take a couple questions from the audience. So, is he? Yeah, great. Oh, they're drinking again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> wow, what a crowd. Yeah. Crazy press crowd. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just wanted, to, just for everyone in the back, the, the question is about an element that's in um, the, the book, uh, Herdy Pain Houses, which is the, the confession that, that um, Bob's character delivered a duffel bag um, of, of uh, weapon, high-powered rifles to um, Tony Pro. Um, right before the assassination, and that's an element that's not in the movie. Well, the point was that a decision had to be made very clearly uh, from uh, even before I even read the book. I mean, are we going to get into what could be considered conspiracy theories? What we wanted to deal with was um, the nature of 
who we are as human beings. Uh, the love, the betrayal, guilt or no guilt, forgiveness or no forgiveness, all of this, everything that else that's played out can be considered, and I'm not, not denigrating Charles Brandt's book or what Frank Sheeran may have said, because this is not Frank Sheeran in the film, it's some character we all created, um, may be considered um, uh, something that is uh, uh, arguably uh, uh, to be contested. And I didn't want to muddy up the emotion and the power of what he was going through and what, what Buffalino had to deal with. And of course, Jimmy's sense of, Jimmy's sense of, you know, I'm above the law. Nobody's above the law. Okay? Nobody's above the law. Who says so? The higher ups. Who are the higher ups? Next thing you know, people are missing. Do you really have to know how they're missing? And who really did what? Who shot Joey Gallo? Really? I mean, it's the life that they're in. It's the life they're in, and they're human beings, you know? He's not a psychotic in that sense. He's a human being who has feelings, and he finds himself, I'm talking about Frank, what we were interested in, he finds himself at the most important part of his life in a conflict, a moral conflict, because he's basically a good man. Yet he has to go through with it. Now, how does a good man live with himself after that? So you want to deliver guns and this and that? Hey, fine. It may be true, by the way. I don't know. You know, uh, but Charles Brand, he, he knows all this stuff, and he's, I believe he's working on another project um, that is going to get into that deeper. It certainly, it, it's the old story, it walks like a duck and it quacks, it might be a duck, you know. Um, but do we ultimately, what happens if we know the truth of that time? Will our lives change now? What does it do to us as human beings? What does it say to us about a society now? about uh, being above the law and being reckless, as Joey Gallo was and as Jimmy became. And as other people are in public. <laughs> really? No, I didn't want to bring it up. Okay. I mean, there was an intimation from Joe's character when he gives yes. me the ring. Yes, yeah, yeah. when he says, uh, if they can knock out a president, they can knock out a president of the union. Now, that's the only one I allowed in because you can interpret that if you want meaning they knocked it out. We didn't knock it out, but people could be taken out, like a president, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, Bobby Kennedy, uh, George Wallace shot. I mean, the 60s, everybody was being shot. That was the 60s, all right. And we're in a similar situation now. So in that way, in terms of, uh, 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 how should you say, erasing people in a way on every level. It's very dangerous. But if you're reckless and you're out front, you're the point man, you're going to get hit. You're going to get hit. As, as Joe said, it's going to happen. Whether you're in it or not. And if you're not in it, if I don't put you in it, we're all going. So you, you, it, it's on you. Yeah, it's a question about the, re it's a very good question about the resonance of films and specifically this film, of course, within Current moments and specifically. I, I don't know if I could answer that intelligently. Really, I I could try seriously. I we made the movie, yeah. and 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 the movie, by the way, changed over the years. In other words, it all came together now, and it has released now. But 
we made the movie, um, my feeling that is when JFK got killed, uh, the shock was, yes, very strong, uh, no doubt. But there was a kind of naivete I felt in the country. I was about 21, but I knew it. I said, it's kind of naivete. It can never happen here. It already happened. There was World War II. We were born during that. We don't remember. So there became a complacency, I think. There's a complacency that set in. And one ignores the true dark forces that are in our nature. I'm not saying we're completely dark, but they can easily take over. And it's, it doesn't happen. Maybe there's one gunshot, but it happens. It happens on every level, incrementally. And before you know it, it's over. And the world has to start all over again, if at all. At this stage, I don't see how, but, you know, if at all. And I think it's the, re the reality of, uh, I'm not the reality, it's the awareness of, it isn't, it isn't as simple as, oh, it isn't cynical. It isn't, oh, everybody's a gangster. And that kind. No, there are certain forces at work. There are certain needs. People, like in a relationship, one person changes, the other person changes, but they don't change together sometimes, and there are needs. Um, and so when it comes into this, when it's about power, power erases everything else. It's all about power. Money doesn't matter. It's power. And as you can, as you know, they'll do anything to keep the power. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Joe. <laughs> she got it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's good. Um, we're going to have to wrap it up, but I just want to thank everybody for coming and all of you. Thank you for such a magnificent interview. You've been listening to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Film at Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City and supported by individuals just like you. For 50 years, we've been dedicated to supporting the art and elevating the craft of cinema and enriching film culture through the programming of festivals, series, retrospectives, and new releases, the publication of Film Comment, the presentation of podcasts, talks, and special events, the creation and implementation of artist initiatives, and our film and education curriculum and screenings. To learn more about what we do and support Film at Lincoln Center by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org. That's F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C dot org.